This program is part of Film Geek Radio. Visit filmgeekradio.com for more great shows. Hey, movie addicts, welcome to Cinema Fix, your start for the purest, highest quality movie reviews on the block. I'm Andrew Johnson, and I'm joined today by my fellow dealer, Monica Castillo. Hello, Andrew. How are you doing, Monica? Pretty good. I flunked out of battle school. You did too? I did too. It seems like everybody flunks out of battle school. Well, I asked them why they flunked me, and it turns out it's because I committed genocide. I thought that was the end goal. I know. I didn't think that they were going to kick me out for that. Dang, you should be, like, promoted. It's conspiracy. <laughs> Yeah, right? I should be a war hero. Yeah, they're bad at war. As always, our listeners can subscribe to the show on iTunes and Stitcher and email us at cinemafix at filmgeekradio.com. You can also call in and leave us a voicemail at 336-793-2509. We would love to hear from you. This is part two of episode number 71 of Cinema Fix, focused on the movie Ender's Game. So if you're looking for part one, you are listening to the wrong file. Go away. If this is your first time listening to the show, basically this is the program on Film Geek Radio devoted to in-depth discussion of mainstream blockbuster films, and each week we release an episode in two parts. The first part is a general spoiler-free discussion, and the second part, which you're listening to right now, is the more in-depth analysis of the film complete with spoilers, and it's designed to be listened to after you've heard part one, or at least after you've seen the film. Again, this is part two, so if you don't want to be spoiled, stop listening right now and go check out part one of this episode. This week, we're talking about Ender's Game. Fair warning, it's possible that over the course of this discussion, we will be spoiling certain parts of the book as well as the film. If you've seen the movie, the movie stays pretty faithful to the book, but still, if if you want to wait... Uh, until you've read the book and you don't want us to ruin the book for you, you might want to wait and come back to this uh, part later. All right, let's get started. First, here's a clip. You wanted to see me? You can't resign. You have an obligation to stay here and convince him to do his duty. My father trained horses. I've raised yearlings since I was five years old. I know I thoroughbred when I see one. We can't lose him. My God, you really don't see them as children, do you? It used to be a war crime to recruit anyone under the age of 15. When the war is over, we can have the luxury of debating the morality of what we do. When it's over, what will be left of the boy? What does it matter if there's nothing left at all? All right, Monica, to start off our discussion... I'm just, I just want to ask you, as someone who hasn't read the book, did you feel like anything was missing or wasn't adequately explained? Or was there something that you thought was actually handled really well? I mean, where would you like to start just as someone who hasn't, who who is not familiar with this source material? I guess a bad confession would be I, I used my previous knowledge of other films to kind of fill in the blanks. So... I relied a bit on the Starship Trooper story where they had to militarize in order to defend themselves against these outer space bugs. And in the very beginning, they explained that they have to use children for one reason or another. Um, so I kind of just took everything at face value and ran with that. For the most part, I didn't feel like anything was missing up until, again, you've mentioned that end part where it's too rushed and you're right. After giving everything else so much more time, it's too rushed. 
Yeah, I can pinpoint the exact scene where things start to go off the rails. And it's the scene where Ender goes back to Earth to mm-hmm. see his sister. And he quits. And that scene and, and everything from then onwards, I thought, just felt really flat to me. I mean, everything on screen was what was in the book, but it just didn't, it wasn't really selling me on the weight of everything and the stakes that there were. And I, it was just, it felt like it was just going through the motions. Like, oh, well, this is what happened in the book, so this is what we're going to show you. And from what's been explained to me by other people who have read the book is that in the book, this is uh, events in this kid's life that take place from when he's six years old to when he's a teenager. And here, you kind of lose your sense of time because they don't say how old he is at the beginning or as all the way through. So it looks like he has, like, a fit little pity party down on earth for all of like a day or something. And then Harrison Ford gets his sister and like convinces him to go back up. And then, you know, his kids whole battle training school time. Was that a couple weeks, months? We have no idea of time frames. Yeah. I think that that is a big problem with the film. It's not so much that Asa Butterfield and these children are older mm-hmm. than they are in the book. That doesn't really bother me. The The important thing that I think as an audience we need to understand, we need to understand that this is taking place over a course of months, possibly even years, and that it's really starting to wear him down. One of the things that makes the book so difficult to film, I think, is a lot of it just takes place in Ender's head. And it's all about his psychology and his emotions and what this is all doing to him as a person and how he's coping with all of these pressures and how what's happening to him in his personal life and relating to these other kids will spill over into the battle room and vice versa and how it's all coming together to help him learn things and become the commander that he's supposed to be. And that isn't quite fully communicated Mm -hmm. in the film. There's a lot of voiceover in the movie, which I think is probably appropriate in this case. There's a lot of getting inside Ender's head a little bit as he sends emails to his Yeah, as opposed to us having to read it. (laughs) Right. So I think some of that was appropriate, but they still didn't do a good job of, of communicating what he's feeling when he's not talking to his sister. When it's just him and he's trying to deal Mm. with the world around him. And I think that was a big problem. And I don't think it was so much a problem in the first half as much as it was a big problem in the third act and in the ending when all of this stuff happens and what Ender ends up doing has pretty far-reaching implications and they just do not really sell the audience in my opinion on the of emotional weight did, yeah. of that. Um you said a lot of this takes place in Ender's head. One part that I really didn't like, and I completely forgot about it until you mentioned it, because I hated it that much, was the silly video game, which apparently is a huge part in the book, but I thought did not work at all in the movie. And in fact, I was kind of like, I'm creeped out by these graphics. Can we, like, look at something else? (laughs) I I actually, I liked that part of the movie. I thought the graphics were fine. The problem is, again, it felt too condensed. But yeah, and this is supposed to be a game that he plays from like childhood throughout or something. Yes, in the book he he's constantly going through this game 
and the game kind of mirrors what he's going through psychologically. And so he eventually reaches this point where it's it's kind of like the uh, what's the the maneuver in Star Trek the the Kubayashi yeah. Maru or whatever like the unbeatable test, mm-hmm. and finally he reaches that point and just for like months can't get past it until he gets so frustrated he eventually finds this other solution. And in the movie, that all takes place like the first time he yeah. plays. <laughs> he is a genius, and I was guys. Like, what? <laughs> You're already at the Giants little cup mind game thing, and you're already going into his eye, and you've beaten it? Uh, Really? Okay. Kind of just took it as, wow, he is violent after all. Okay, also, Monica, as someone who hasn't read the book, did you understand what happened with the game and with the Queen Formic, the Queen Bug? I think they said something... Oh, this might have been someone else explaining it to me, because I immediately stepped out of the movie, and I found some friends who had also brought guests, and some of them had read the book, some of them hadn't, so I had it explained a little bit to me. But apparently, that queen had found, like, the internet that the game was connected to, and kind of was trying to reach out to that, through that. Right. It's been so long since I read the book, I don't remember all the details, but basically the queen found a way through the hive mind to infiltrate this this network yeah. and this computer and what and was trying to talk to Ender and let him know what was going on and what she wanted. And I felt like in the movie, they just rushed over that so quickly at the end. Like he wakes up and suddenly realizes, oh, this planet I'm on, that was in my game. Yeah. So I'm supposed to go there and that's it. Yeah. That to me leads me to another major problem I had with the film. One of the most important things about this material is that it opens up with that quote Mm -hmm. uh, about how once you learn how to fully defeat someone, you learn to love them. And it's all about Ender communicating with the queen and gradually over time, learning to uh, to to understand more and more about the mm-hmm. bugs and what they want and ultimately that's what he uses to defeat them and there is none of that in the movie there's no sense that i got that he was really starting to form a connection with his I enemy i thought that that was part of the tragedy with him is that he he didn't know his enemy and so he freaked out after he found out he that was actually the real planet that he destroyed that you don't know them no, the real tragedy of it is that he he starts to to empathize more and more with the aliens and to understand them so that then when he realizes that he mm-hmm. killed them all and that he was tricked and he's committed genocide and it yeah. was all real, it's even more devastating than it would be for other people because he really has grown to understand mm. them and empathize with them to a certain extent. Was that in the book or from what I remember, that was what it was in the book, that, that over time he was gradually learning to understand more and more about these bugs because like the queen was communicating with him through the game yeah. and, and stuff. I was kinda wondering like why he was getting these ethical questions all of a sudden. I'm like, but they're bugs. Right? Right, guys? <laughs> right, right. Like one of the main points of the book is that they aren't just like mindless drones. Yeah. These are actual creatures. The, yeah, they're alien creatures, but they are sentient and conscious and they have wants and desires and sure they started off attacking us, but then they were defeated and backed off. Mm-hmm. 
and they don't really want to kill us. Yeah. So we're launching this preemptive strike, and 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 we end up taking out their entire species. And that ending, there's so it's so heavy. Yeah. When you stop to think about it, Monica. No, like, I did. I totally did a oh moment <laughs> when I found right. that out because, of course, I didn't know what was going to happen. And then it turns out it was all real. It's like, oh, snap, guys. And then his reaction, I wasn't really prepared for either because, again, I didn't know that he was building sympathy for the bugs or so. So his freak out was just, I could understand it, like, yeah, so you didn't know what you were doing because they tricked you. But then it's also that second weight of, you know, he really did commit this huge genocide against the species that he was sympathetic with. Right. And I, I actually liked the presentation of the big final battle on the homeworld. Yeah. I think, unfortunately, in that third act, they rushed through command school so quickly. Yeah. That it, it felt really clunky to me. Like, you don't really get a sense... It's like a less than a quarter of what the other time you spent on the other ship. And isn't it supposed to be a little bit more equal? Like half and half? Yeah. And and also this stuff at command school is so important to yeah. what he ultimately does. They really only show you like a few quick montages of him and the people under him engaged in some quick little battles. Yeah. But there's nothing there's nothing like the battle school where we actually get to see them progressing through a few rounds, coming up with strategies, figuring out how they're going to win, dealing with the the consequences and the people that they've lost. So, visually I thought the final battle was really well done. It just doesn't communicate what's really at stake. Mm-hmm. And then when Ender realizes that it wasn't a game and it was all real, like, that moment is so important, and it just felt so flat to me mm. in the movie. I could see that. Because, uh, yeah, then they knock him out, like, in a few seconds after. Because <laughs> he's having the freak out. Well, and also, he doesn't seem to understand what's happening. Mm-hmm. And Harrison Ford has to, like, tell him, no, kid, it was... He doesn't actually come out and say, you did it, you destroyed them all. Or the, the way it's written... It's really weird to me. Like, it felt like they were kind of dodging the subject a little bit. Like, they were trying to communicate. He's gone to a better place. (laughs) They were, it's like they were trying to let the audience know that Ender, that that everything was real without really getting into the details of what that means. Yeah. Like, he destroyed their entire species and also. Every ship that was destroyed in the battle, those were real people. Yeah. And in the book, they may even make it clear that some of the people that died were people that he knew at battle school. Oh, geez. Yeah, that's totally not there. So not only does he have to deal with the fact that he committed genocide and wiped out an entire species, Mm -hmm. he also sent hundreds of thousands of human beings to their death. Here's here's another thing that I, I find kind of interesting. So in the future, we totally don't prepare at all for people's mental well-being and the trauma of war. <laughs> like, forget PTSD, y'all. And it seemed like the movie was trying to, again, skirt away from all of that. Like, there's a scene at the beginning where Harrison Ford, as Colonel Graff, tells Viola Davis, like, we have to keep him isolated. Yeah. We don't We don't want him to relate him to the other kids. But then for the rest of the movie, it seems like he doesn't have much of a problem making friends. That Once he becomes like an alpha male, 
people like respect him and then that's that's when they back off. Right. And again, I don't necessarily have a problem with that if you can sell me on the ending, which they didn't. Is it because that it was too rushed for you that in the and it also don't include the details like you just did uh, that are in the book. You would have preferred those in there. It's just it's just so rushed. Like I think when you have that realization Ender just killed an entire mm-hmm. species that wasn't necessarily going yeah. to attack us. You need to like slow down, you need to do something in the editing. You need you need to do that thing where like all the sound drops out and suddenly it goes into slow motion <laughs> as Ender processes <laughs> what is happening or something. You need to do something to get us inside his head to communicate, "Whoa, mm-hmm. this is heavy stuff." And the movie, I just felt like rushed through it yeah. really quickly. Like, hey, you killed a bunch of of uh, bugs, and now you're upset, and now you have to go find the larva. The end. And what? I was like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Yeah, that's what happens. But what yeah. does that mean? Well, do you think it's because it's being marketed and possibly made for children that that kind of heaviness was skipped over? I don't know, honestly, because I'm not sure why you would even make this film unless you're going to nail the ending, because the ending is so important and so it makes everything so ambiguous and weighty and and thematically complex. Most of the people that I had talked to who read the book read it as children, Mm -hmm. read it as middle schoolers. Yeah. That That would be interesting dumbing down, sort of watering. Right. And as a middle schooler... I loved it, and it felt adult, and it felt heavy, and I was like, whoa, this book is really great. And then watching the movie, I was like, wait, because I saw it in a theater with some kids in it, and I was like, wait, do do these kids fully understand the weight of what is happening? No, because I barely got it. (laughs) Like, Ender just wiped out an entire species Mm -hmm. preemptively. They say they address that those were real people in those ships, like, in one sentence, and then keep going. Right. And then not only that, he realizes that he now has the last remaining queen. So not only did he destroy this race, he's now responsible for how it continues on yeah. and is remembered. And that is even a that's so much more additional pressure, a new type of pressure. Mm-hmm. And none of that I felt like was communicated in the movie. It's just it, it's like it's like they were trying to turn an ending that is actually really dark and unhappy mm-hmm. into a kind of happy one. Like, oh yeah, he killed a bunch of bugs, but they're just bugs, right? And now he's going to go deliver the queen to a home, to another planet and it'll be great. And I'm like, no, you, you can't ignore all of the implications here. <laughs> yeah. Also, how is she supposed to, how is that baby supposed to reproduce? I think they reproduce asexually. Really? Okay. I don't I, know. I don't know creepy i can't remember okay because i was kind of confused i was like oh great so you found the superman of the last of the species right is it gonna clone itself like how are you gonna save it speaking of this stuff with the bugs monica i want you to tell me what was going on with major rackham's face tattoos because i could not understand his explanation to ender due to ben kingsley's accent he was a maori Maori or whatever, however you pronounce it. It's a New Zealand um, indigenous tribe. Okay, and it had something to do with his father? His father was a Maori, and they do the face tattoos. Okay. Yeah. All I caught of that was at the very end when he says that it's to speak for the dead. 
Yeah, so his father probably died or something. Right, and that's actually a pretty important phrase in the Ender series. The sequel to Ender's Game is called Speaker for the Dead. Oh, whoops. And they never tie that back into the movie. Yeah. At the end of the book, when Ender goes off to find a new home for the queen, he basically decides that he's going to become the Speaker for the Dead for the format, gotcha. for the bugs. He's going to, like write down their history. He's going to learn everything he can about them and pass along their cultural history. And he's going to be their speaker for the dead. So is this like white guilt, the movie? Uh, Kind of. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Basically it's about this little kid (laughs) who commits genocide and then is trying to figure out how to atone for that. (laughs) So that's what this is about. Yes, and they they threw in that sentence in the movie, like, Ben Kingsley's character, he speaks for the dead, and then they never brought it back in relation to Ender, and I was like, okay, well, what was the point of that scene then? Well, I'll be back at the sequel if they make one. I guess. Ender's Game 2, Speaker for the Dead. Speaker for the Dead is a completely different type of book from Ender's Game. It is not Hollywood material. It'll be like beautiful creatures, and one done. <laughs> it's It's not like a fun action (laughs) movie so so yeah that was mainly that was my main problem with the movie i just felt like especially in the third act they were staying away from all the dark stuff like in the book by the end ender is completely psychologically broken that was not asa butterfield at the end of this movie (laughs) yeah and everything that colonel graf and everyone all all of the top military brass Everything they do just over years just wears him down. Mm. And I don't think they really communicate that in the film. Just just the psychological toll that this is having on a kid. Well, no, because it's also, I mean, shoot, it could take place in a series of months. Because for all we know, we don't have any sort of delineation of the passing of time. Right. Let's, let's talk about some other stuff. Let's talk about everything with the bullies and Bonzo and all of that. Mm-hmm. Did any of that work for you? Um, Yeah, I kind of understood it. He's an outsider, and they pick on him for that, especially for a place that encourages fighting and war and those kind of domineering tactics. So he has to learn how to defend himself. And apparently the whole thing is he's rewarded for violence that nearly kills kids. Which I was kind of weirded out by. Right. So the thing is not to be like his brother, who probably did kill somebody. We don't know, but he's very sketchy character. And then this one is like just a little bit nicer. <laughs> yeah, and, and the book does a much better job of explaining what his relationship is to his siblings. Mm-hmm. And he loves them both, but he has a much stronger connection with his sister than he does with his brother. Yeah, Peter. that's what I got from the movie, too. And Peter is also a tactical genius. Mm-hmm. And the subplot that they cut out of the movie, which they probably should have, basically involves Valentine and Peter using the internet to become master orators and eventually politicians. You know, when you flunk out of school, become a a politician. Right. And Peter basically ends up becoming, like, president of Earth. Let me guess, does he turn into a warmonger? Yeah, he's a pretty ruthless guy. Cool, I call that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so so none of that's in the movie, and that's probably fine. I don't think it really needed to be here in this installment. Yeah, it could be a surprise for the third movie, whatever. But his relationship with Valentine is pretty important. Well, yeah, she talks him out of his uh, funk. 
Harwin. Right, and I hated that scene so much. Yeah, that's. I think that's what made would turn me off of her character. At least in the film version, she seemed more like a plot device. It's just such a, it's so fast. Like, they just go out onto the lake, and then she's like, but what if you're supposed to be the hero? And then he goes back. And I was like, really? That's it? Like, he knows that in his mind. He already knows he could be Major Rackman, that he could be important. I'm not sure that argument's going to win him over. Yeah. Everything with the bullies and stuff that he went through during battle school, I thought it was fairly well handled. But Mm -hmm. again, it's pretty, they play it much safer in the movie than the book does. Oh, geez. In the movie, when he fights with Bonzo in the shower, it's kind of handled the same way. He turns on the hot water, so there's a lot of steam, and then he soaps up, so he's harder to grab. But in the in the book, what happens to Bonzo isn't an accident. Oh. Like, in the movie, he just kind of kicks him, and then he falls down and hits his head accidentally. Yeah. In the book, it's much clearer, like, Ender intends to Smash either kill in. this to like smash his face in or come really close to killing him. The movie paints Ender, I think, as a much more sympathetic character than the book does. Does he also like want to go back home and like follow Bonzo to his family or whatever? Like he has some sort of guilt with that? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Again, because he's going through so much pressure and it's so psychologically difficult for him, he does think about quitting at mm. one point. But overall, yeah, ultimately, he's a good guy that the brass kind of molds and tricks into becoming this killer. Mm -hmm. But the book, again, because it gets more into his head, really does a better job of communicating his his fears like, oh, am I going to turn out like Peter? Mm -hmm. Should I be acting the way I'm acting? Is this really the appropriate way to respond to this situation? And in, in some situations, he actually is quite ruthless, like with Bonzo. Yeah. Well, I was just thinking of the other kid because he, I think Viola Davis's character brings it up too that he didn't stop kicking him until he was like really hurt. Like right. he could, he was right. already down, so he could have stopped. Right, and that's why, the, and that's why they recruit him. Yeah, because he's kind of sadistic. <laughs> yeah, that's in the book. Oh yeah, no, I figured that was in the book because it it plays such a big part in his military career or whatever. Right. And the book, it's kind of all about how, yes, Ender is this violent person, and he can be quite ruthless at times, but that ultimately is what makes him an effective commander and is what allows him to defeat, to make that decision at the end to wipe out the homeworld. So it's all related. I just felt like, again, the movie doesn't quite communicate it's just psychologically how heavy a lot of the stuff he's going through is and, and yeah. what it's really doing to him. Yeah, for the most part, he kind of comes across somewhat distant. Well, right. Like, he doesn't understand the um, enormity of the situation. It's not just that. I just feel like, you know, in the movie, what happens to Bonzo is an accident. Mm-hmm. He's trying to be friends with everybody, and a lot of people seem to like him. And... In the book, it's just much more clearly communicated that his social interaction is pretty strained a lot of the time Mm -hmm. with his peers. And in order to survive battle school, because it's so tough, he's not always the most moral person. Mm. He doesn't have Valentine's compassion. Yeah. And again, I think I'm fine with that. I'm fine with, with them making their protagonist Ender a little bit easier for audiences to swallow and, and being a little bit more sympathetic and not quite 
getting as dark with all of the psychological stuff that he's going through mm-hmm. if they sell the ending. But because they didn't sell the ending, now in retrospect, it's kind of like, well, it seems like you shied away from the darker side of a lot of stuff. Mm-hmm. Like they were just trying to play it safe. Also, this has been brought up in a few reviews, and it's not really fair to the actor Moises Arias, who plays Bonzo. Mm-hmm. He's really short. Oh, is that really a thing? Yeah, and his first meeting with Ender, mm-hmm. when Ender shows up and meets him for the first time, Moises is very short and only comes up to, like, Asa Butterfield's shoulder. But he's acting all tough and he's supposed to be the big bully. Was that part of the book or something? I don't remember if he was shorter than Ender in the book or not. Or he just, like, came in cursing to the casting and then they were like, this guy. Maybe. I don't know. Maybe so. Because, like, it's a perfect Napoleon complex. Right, right. In the book, I feel like he at least came across as a little bit more intimidating than this guy does. And I I don't know, maybe he was short, and it's just how Horses Got Card wrote him that made him seem more intimidating. Napoleons are sometimes the scarier ones. Yeah, yeah. They got got something to prove. Yeah, so it just seemed kind of weird to me. Speaking from someone who doesn't make five-foot... I <laughs> would know a little bit about that. Like, I don't know. The, the book just does a much better job, again, of communicating the stakes of everything involved. Like, I remember as a middle schooler reading about Ender's final confrontation with Bonzo and being, like, on the edge of my seat. Like, oh, man, this Bonzo kid is crazy. He could kill Ender. The stakes are super high. Mm-hmm. And then in the movie, it, it just it wasn't quite there. Mm. And maybe that's just due to the fact that it's a, a different medium and it's harder to communicate some of that stuff uh, visually. I, I don't know. I got it. I mean, like, Ender's this skinny little kid. Someone could probably break him by accidentally sitting on him. There's right. here's this other scrappy kid who's got, you know, a chip on his shoulder. And he's just raring for a fight. So you don't know how stable and unstable he is. And clearly he's not stable and corners him in the shower. And it probably seems to some of our listeners like I'm just complaining a lot about the film. I actually did like a great deal of the movie and and enjoyed myself, especially the battle room sequences. I think those were really, really well done. When you actually get to see Ender coming up with the strategies, like we're going to do this formation and then we're going to go in this way and that's going to allow this person to do this. Mm -hmm. I thought that that was really, really well handled. Yeah, I would be a little bit curious to see if he was stuck in battle school for longer, how many more formations he would have to create once people got wise to <laughs> his his ideas. Right, but so, but some of those scenes were actually were lifted straight from the book. Yeah, like the scene when their gate is already open, and so one team is like already gathered around the entrance, just waiting for them to exit mm-hmm. so they can kill them all. Like that's taken from the book, and yeah, there there were certain things that I think that they adapted pretty pretty well, okay. which I was a little bit surprised by and I'm impressed by because in the book, you're just trying to imagine like zero gravity and where all these different objects are mm. and get a picture for it. And it can be a little bit difficult at times to process everything with the zero gravity. And hey, everybody, let's be honest. We got Harrison Ford floating in space. So there you go. Right. (laughs) Something you never really saw in Star Wars. You finally got. Yeah. How many years later? (laughs) So, yeah, I mean, I think on the whole, I I mean, the the movies, it's well done Mm -hmm. film. It's competently made, especially that first half. It's just that that last act was so rushed to me. 
Well, it seemed it seemed weird. What would be, I guess, what you, the sort of prologue to the movie is that he just gets the larva and goes to some other planet. I don't know. I'm gonna be an adventurer. Bye, sis. Like that's all right. Like it kind of leaves you on a low note. Not really like a low note, a muted note. It's just kind of just peters off energy-wise. Right, and it's supposed to leave you not on a high note like you're happy, but it's supposed to leave you with a much more lasting note just because of the weight of everything that he's done and everything that this larva represents. It's a new hope. Right, it's a new hope. It's the fate of an entire species in his hands that he is now responsible for, and without him, this race will completely die off and be forgotten. And the movie just doesn't really communicate that. And so, yeah, the movie ended and I was like, wait, that's it? You're not going to, like, really explain? You're not going to lay out the implications here for what this means? You're just going to assume we all get it? Like, I get it because I've read the book, but I'm not sure everyone else does. I figured it out. It was like, oh, it's the last of its kind. All right. It's the last unicorn. It's like you figure it out in your head. Like, you understand it, but you don't feel it. And that's that's my main problem with the ending of this movie like all the events are there i just didn't feel it you can see that anything else you want to say about ender's game it's just it's an all right film like it's competent enough i guess it was an interesting story for someone who wasn't familiar with the source material you gotta go read the book monica the books the book's awesome like now that i've seen the movie now i kind of want to go back and reread the book because the book's really really good all of our listeners should go read the book just trust me on this there are these things called libraries. You can get books for free. Let the record show and read it. that Andrew was recommending people to go read a book instead of go see a movie. Yes, I'm recommending that you read the book. Preferably, well, okay, I guess if you see the movie and then read the book. The well, because there'll be, be new good. stuff that you don't know about. How's that? Right. So even if you've seen the movie, read yeah. the book. Just trust me. It'll be better. You'll appreciate it. Okay. Oh, I have in my notes... Makes genocide seem like no big deal, kind of like the Lone Ranger. Oh, <laughs> that's a double feature. He just wiped that entire an entire species. No big deal. He's got the larva. It's okay. But at least it's not like, hey, we got jokes later. <laughs> <laughs> that's true. Play him off, keyboard cat. At least he didn't look over and see Harrison Ford in a tree. <laughs> Although that would be funny. That would be funny. (laughs) Tree in space and Harrison Ford just waiting there. All right, that'll wrap it up for part two of our discussion of Ender's Game here on Cinema Fix. Don't forget to tune in next week when we'll be discussing Thor, the Dark World. Sounds scary, but exciting. You like it. Hopefully. I actually really like the first Thor more than a lot of people. Oh, you did. You sent me a message after I, I gave it a meh review on uh, Letterboxd. You you sent me your disapproval. Oh, I did? I don't even remember that. I'll remind you. Uh, all right. We would love to get your feedback on the show. You can email us at cinemafix at filmgeekradio.com or comment on the website at filmgeekradio.com. We also have a brand new voicemail line you can call into at 336-793-2509. Just call in. Leave us a voicemail. Let us know what you thought of Ender's Game and what you think of the podcast. Uh, maybe we'll play it on the air. Uh, You can also subscribe to the show through iTunes, so if you liked this episode, please write us a review. That would really help us get the word out about the program. You can also donate to us through the website. We really appreciate your help. And don't forget to check out other great shows on Film Geek Radio, including The Thin Place, The Nerdy Projectors, our new podcast all about uh, the third season of Homeland, The Briefing Room, and our podcast all about Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. on ABC, uh, the Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. cast. Monica, where can people find you online? 
People can find me online on Twitter and Tumblr at mcastingmovies. That's M-C-A-S-T-I movies. They can also find my work reposted on the Boston Online Film Critics Association website at bofca.com. You can find some of my writing at patheos.com and moviemezzanine.com. You can also follow me on Twitter at writerandrew. If you do follow me, be sure to send me a message and let me know you're a listener, and I will follow you back. That'll wrap it up for this episode. I'm Andrew Johnson. I'm Monica Castillo. And have fun this week getting high on cinema and squashing every bug you see. This has been a Film Geek Radio production. Film Geek Radio! Yeah!